Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of A New Life Awaits, Spirit-Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening, which shares stories and messages from spirit that show us many of our problems are not merely economic, political, or societal, but a disconnection from our true being or soul wisdom. Today I welcome Dr. Adia Horvey Wingfield, author of Flatlining, focusing on the processes that maintain racial and gender inequality in professional workplaces. Hello, Dr. Wingfield, and thank you for joining us on Healing from Within. Well, thank you for having me. You know, now we are in the greatest spiritual evolution of human development, and perhaps it's the time to correct inequalities Finally, Adia, as listeners of Healing from Within know, my esteemed guests and I share intimate awareness of how spiritual life and physical life offer unique opportunities to recognize our inner potential to thrive beyond the problems of a three-dimensional physical reality and to claim our soul right to live purposeful, happy, and healthy lives as we learn more about who we are and how to live in balance and harmony as we improve ourselves, our communities, and our world. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Dr. Adia Harvey Wingfield, a professor of sociology at Washington University at St. Louis, Missouri, will discuss how the problem of inequality and gender disparity has been here long before COVID-19 through this uh, pretty terrific, terrible pandemic magnified it. What happens to black professionals in the new economy that's unfolding, where work is insecure and organizational resources are scarce? Dr. Wingfield will expose how institutions participate in racial outsourcing, relying heavily on black professionals to do equity work which is extra labor that makes organizations and their services more accessible to communities of color. Yet often black workers do this labor without recognition, compensation, or support. Adia, I always love to ask my guests to think back to their earlier life, their childhood, and perhaps remember a person, place, or event that may have signaled to them or others around them what lifestyle and interests they might pursue in adulthood. For it seems to me we are born with a plan and destiny within us uh, that seeks to find its way as we pay attention to the many clues that present themselves as we mature. So think back for a minute and what comes to mind. Well, first uh, I have to just let you know uh, my name is actually pronounced Adia, not not Adia. Um, but uh, that notwithstanding, um, I certainly feel my own experience. I was exposed to academic life uh, through my father, who was also a professor when I was growing up, and uh, was a person who was a model for the type of research that I try to do in the book and the focus on the ways in which workplace uh, changes have an impact on black professionals. All right, so it was your dad then. Okay, we all have so many people around us who influence us, but sometimes someone stands out more than the others. What What is flatlining? 
the title of your book and also tell us about equity and equality which seems to be not really well understood at the present time. Sure. So in the book, uh, I picked flatlining as a title because I wanted to think about uh, something that would serve as a metaphor for showing how an environment that should be showing progress for certain groups isn't really doing that. And I think that my part of what I try to argue in the book is that for black professional workers, uh, doctors, nurses, physician assistants, and technicians, all of whom I interviewed for the research study, are people who are experiencing the changes in the healthcare industry in ways that aren't necessarily leading them to thrive um, and really succeed as well as possible in the industry. And part of that has to do with what I refer to in the book as the equity work, which I describe as the additional labor that they have to do to try to make these organizations more available and welcoming to communities of color. So certainly we hear a lot of talk today about diversity and equity and inclusion, and many organizations and businesses say that this is something that they value, but they don't always put the resources into really achieving that. And what I found is that in organizations that don't put those resources behind creating more diversity and equity, often that work falls to black professionals. And that's what I refer to as the equity work of trying to make these companies spaces that are more welcoming and more accommodating to communities of color. And that's what I observed a lot of black professionals doing in my study. Yes, so you say, starting in the 1970s, wages began to flatten and ceased to keep pace with productivity. What this means is that even as workers continue to produce results, wages have not kept pace with their efforts. So this is this is what you're talking about and this is in all corporations and in all manufacturing and in the medical fields and it seems to be across the board and it seems to be getting worse right now I mean the bottom line is profits and not so much uh, their, their employees the people that they should honor and respect and treat as family and, and help to, to have a better quality of health and life so tell us something about that Right, exactly. I mean, if we take an aggregate look at what's happening and how work has changed over the past 30, 40 or so years, certainly one of the things that we see is that there's definitely been a lot of widening and increasing inequality. There's a huge gap, as we know, between those who are at the very top of our income and wealth levels and those who are separated from them by a gulf that's getting larger and larger. Some of that has to do with the fact that workers have not been able to uh, keep the gains from their productivity over the last 40 years. Some of it has to do with changes in how companies are structured and increased reliance on contract labor and people who are temporary employees. A lot of it has to do with the rise of low-wage service industry jobs that don't pay a lot, don't provide a lot of benefits, and often don't even provide people with their schedules in advance enough for them to make arrangements for childcare or other necessities that they may have in life. But ultimately, the end result is exactly what you've described, and that's that, and that's that we have environments where many workers are in what sociologists sometimes refer to as, quote, bad jobs. And those jobs mm-hmm. aren't bad because they're inherently bad. They're bad because of the way that they are structured by organizations, not to provide equitable pay, not to provide routes for advancement, not to provide benefits that people need in order to really thrive and succeed in U.S. society. And so consequently, that helps to explain why we are seeing the widening economic inequality and why so many workers face such a difficult time creating economic security for themselves or getting ahead. Yeah, and you write, 
Organizations now expect workers to be nimbler and more flexible, to change jobs more frequently rather than devoting their entire career to a company, and to take greater responsibility, personal responsibility, for moving into and out of jobs, organizations, or even the workforce itself. You know, we have lots of people not working right now. There are jobs, but the people are at home because the government has been giving their money because of the pandemic to stay home. But, however, organizations have assumed much less responsibility for employees than they have in the past. I remember the past. I remember places that I went into. I remember my doctor's office when I was a child. Everyone was so kind and so caring, and they took care of you like you were their family. I mean, some of the young people nowadays don't know that. They don't know the difference, so they assume that's just the way it is. But it's not the best way. When our workplaces are more like family, our health and well-being are better, or simply better. I think that's what you're aiming for. You're aiming to see responsibility being taken by everyone at the top all the way down through, right? Right. I think that's a, a fair way to put it. And what you're describing is one of the things that motivated me to ask the research questions in the book in the first place. Uh, there, there used to be a model, for example, of work in the post-World War II era where people would go to work for one company and they could stay at that current company for the duration of their career. They could pretty reasonably expect that if they worked hard and they did well, they might advance in that company. And they could feel pretty confident that at the end of their time there, when it was time to retire, they could count on pretty sufficient retirement benefits and Social Security that would allow them to live comfortably in their older age. And that model of work doesn't really exist anymore. Most people don't work for one company for their entire career. Most people don't advance through that company. Most people can't count on that company covering their retirement benefits through a guaranteed pension. That, all of those mo- that model really has shifted in a lot of ways. And so what I was curious about was the impact that that shift had and other associated shifts would have on black professional workers who well, are coming into an environment. I think, yeah, I think the influence it is, it has had is, uh, we're seeing the life expectancy go down. We're seeing, um, more diseases and sickness take over. We're seeing family life being destroyed. It's not good. It's simply. Right, it's not, not, it's not good. <laughs> not good. Now, what do you think is set to change in the Biden administration regarding racial inequality? I mean, they're using terms like inequity, and there is a, a lot of people are confused about that inequity and the inequality. You just described it before. But tell us again, what are they intent on doing when they talk about diversity and inclusion? What happens to meritocracy? And which is still having people who who are qualified for the job have it, regardless of just trying to fill quotas by race or religion or gender. What do you think about all this? Oh, I think at this point it's a bit early to have predictions about what will come from the Biden administration. But I do think that it is interesting to note that some of the changes that they've put into place, or that they're attempting to put into place, I should say, do 
reflect a lot of what researchers have noted about ways that there are systemic racial and gender inequalities in workplaces and in labor markets. So, for example, the attempt, the attempt to provide more attention to early childhood education and to child care that has the potential to really have an impact on many women working who often face the responsibility of balancing child care and family home care with their professional responsibilities. So attention to that is going to be very that's significant. That's very good. But that's been done before. I mean, we've had, uh, what did they call the program for the children, the young children, putting them in early education? Uh, I'm a teacher. Head Start? Head Start. That's what I was looking for. Head Start is around for 30 years. I mean, this is nothing new. I think... And I think what we really need to uh, focus on is family life and having, bringing, making sure uh, fathers are in the family and we have a greater um, coordination between family and education. Because I, I know I taught in the inner city schools and there were times when I didn't have one parent show up for open school night. And it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking for me to see the students find friendships because they didn't have guidance at home, and their family lives were so poor. And I, uh, I saw it in action. And I think we must start to develop as part of our health initiative and the medical personnel and the educational system and government. They're all involved because the, the money is being spent all over the place. But I think it needs to go back to the basics, right? We need to start well, one with... One of the things that we know from the focus on trying to provide more uh, federal support for to create an infrastructure for child care is that that does have an impact on uh, families and that when families are not struggling to deal with competing needs between careers and family responsibilities, that actually has benefits for all. That can have benefits for men, for women, for children, because there isn't the struggle to try to balance professional responsibilities with family. And we see that happening now with the consequences of COVID, that many women are pulling out of the workforce because yes. they are facing the struggle of having to uh, fulfill home responsibilities and being disproportionately responsible for child care and trying to balance that with work. So one of the things that I think we can say is that putting more attention to that is going to have a real beneficial impact for many of our workplaces and for many families and communities. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That's where the attention has to go. We have to bring it all together, not let them, uh, you know, each area that we're trying to address work separately. We have to make it a cooperative effort, and I think we'll have better results. And uh, Now, you talk about um, health care as a need for healing uh, our country. It's an extremely integral part of improving life for all people and uh, including more doctors of color to serve this very uh, diverse patient population because we know the population is changing and we will have a larger proportion. They use the, they use the term black and brown and uh, I don't know what else do they say when they separate groups. Uh, I don't like to think in terms of separation that way. I just like to th think in terms of people, <laughs> just people. We're all humans, and but, but we are going to have a more diverse uh, population coming up in the next 20 years. So uh, how do we do that, go about, about including more doctors of color? 
because people do right. do feel comfortable when they come in when they see a mixture of people. They don't want to just go in to to see one group of people. They want it all mixed and feeling like you know one big family, human family. So what sure. do you say about sure. that? Well, so right now, uh, when it comes to black doctors in particular, they are very underrepresented as part of the physician population. They, black Americans are about 13% of the population, but only about 5% of doctors. And why that presents such a problem is that we know from research, as you just pointed out, that the population is becoming increasingly more racially diverse. But we also know that having more racial and gender diversity among the physician population can actually help to improve patient outcomes. Research has shown that black men patients in particular may be more likely to show responsiveness and to have better health outcomes if they are treated by a doctor who is also a black male. Research has also shown that having more women in medicine can actually improve cardiovascular health and can actually uh, result in life-changing life -changing and life-saving outcomes for patients who are having heart issues and cardiovascular issues. So as our population becomes more racially diverse, it's going to be incumbent on us to have commensurate racial and gender diversity among the medical profession. And some steps that can take that some steps that can be taken to help achieve more diversity, I think, can include drawing more attention to the barriers that various groups face in accessing that profession in the first place. Uh, financial support for underrepresented communities of color uh, can help to make people have an easier pathway into the medical profession. Providing more resources for doctors from different backgrounds can also help to create more support for doctors once they get into that into the field having more access to mentors and sponsors who can help guide uh, doctors of color once they are in the field can also help them to succeed and thrive once they are in the field so there are a number of steps that can happen along the way to help attract more doctors of color and black doctors specifically to the profession but also make sure that they have the professional support that they need to do well once they arrive i think you're finding that that's happening aren't you, aren't you i think there are some happening? Yeah. So there are some early steps that are being taken to highlight the need for having more doctors of color. Part of what I argue in the book, though, is that acknowledging the need has to be coupled with making sure that these doctors have the support that they need once they get into the profession. And often that's where there's a bit of a mistake. That's where I think, yeah, that's where I think the bigger problem is. I think they're getting in there, but I think perhaps you say they're expected uh, to outsource or do jobs uh, that they're not compensated for in order to bring in a greater population to the medical practice or the hospital or whatever they're dealing with and that's not really part of their job but they have to do it anyhow and that needs improvement because I think they're there but are they being compensated and are, they, are their talents being used in the right way? That I'm not sure about. Right, and so my study doesn't touch specifically on compensation, but what I do find is that for many black healthcare workers, they are doing additional labor, again, the equity work that I found, that uh, requires them to do basically more work in order to make these hospital or uh, hospital spaces more welcoming and available to communities of color. This can range from taking on additional mentoring work to starting nonprofits to advocating for patients in certain ways, to actually having assigned tasks that are outside of the bounds of their job descriptions, depending on the occupational category of the worker in question. So I did find that there is a lot of additional work that black healthcare workers are doing to make these spaces ones that are better suited for uh, a more diverse patient population. And I think that shifting that work back to organizations and making that an organizational responsibility rather than an individual responsibility can go a lot farther in meeting these goals.
I agree with you there. It has to be an organizational responsibility. You know, I talked to my son about this. He works uh, in an insurance corporation. And he has told me that wherever he goes, he goes all over the world, and he finds that there's not enough diversity at the corporate level, at the higher level. Now, there's also not enough women at that level. And I don't know why that hasn't changed as much as it should have. Maybe maybe it's starting, but it should have already been in place. Don't you agree? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, as we... Start, as we continue becoming a more multiracial society, we are going to face serious problems if there's this much of a disjuncture between our population at large and those who are in leadership. And so there have to be ways to make sure that leadership of multiple organizations across multiple industries and multiple settings really reflects the population of the U.S. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. And I also agree that it's time maybe not to do so much labeling of people you know, like I said before, we have to think in terms of black, brown, Asian, women. I, I, I don't personally, I don't think that way. As this elementary school teacher and an author and a Reiki energy healer who knows that we're much more than our physical body, that we do have a soul and there is something beyond this life, I, I, I see people pretty much just as humans who I want to care and protect and honor, even in their differences. You know, we, we are all unique. We have special talents and gifts, and I don't expect anyone uh, to fit a mold. So I think we have limited people too much. We have labeled them too much, and I think it's time to get past that and to realize we just have to honor people for what they choose to do, what they're good at, what they like, oh, and respect them no matter what, without judgment. The word judgment comes in, and I would think you would think about that in terms of some of the things we're trying to discuss here, that it's, it's better to get away from judgment, right? Well, I think it can be uncomfortable sometimes to think about people as members of a group rather than as individuals, but I think also the reality is that for many people, um, they often are treated as members of a group before they are treated as individuals. So I think before we get to the point where we can see everyone completely as an individual, we have to rectify the types of structures and processes that are go back to what you're talking about, the judgments and the uh, the inequalities that lead to certain groups being treated differently, paid right. differently, paid less, and so forth. And then once we've eliminated those, I think it does become a lot easier to start thinking about everyone as an individual. Well, that's where I think we're going spiritually. I think that's where we are now. We're in the middle of that transition or transformation and change. And uh, as my son said, if we look more for cooperation over competition, we'll be able to, to realize, to be fair, to be righteous, to be kind, and to see people and see the best within ourselves and the best in others. I think when that happens, everything else is going to get a lot better also. Right? So what would you like people to take away from your book? The main, uh, the main theme. Yeah, the main takeaway from the book is that as uh, work is changing and as organizations are changing to reflect that, it's important to be mindful of what 
additional burden and labor that can put on black professionals that even as they may seem to be people who have made it so to speak there can still be additional challenges and obstacles that they face even in organizations that say that they want to have more diversity and attract more workers of color so i hope that the book highlights some of those challenges for people and as well as draws people's attention to what some solutions may be to those challenges yeah i like that i love solutions i think you do <laughs> i think you do too that's what we're aiming for so i want to thank you dr harvey wingfield for tackling a topic which is clearly not well understood by government corporate educational facilities where the real changes on the conversations on race must go to begin to heal and unify the nation as a whole to purchase this book and learn more about the efforts many professionals are devoting their time and energy go uh, energy to go to amazon.com and the name of the book is flatlining in summarizing today's episode of healing from within we have attempted to tackle generations of understanding the need in american industries and government to work with african american business people also in the medical field, to advance equity in as many workplaces as possible. Dr. Wingfield writes, I conclude flatlining by reiterating my central argument. In the modern work world, organizations engage in racial outsourcing, leaving black professionals to do the equity work of connecting organizations to communities of color. While this process does not render black professionals as economically disadvantaged as their poor or working class counterparts, it still has adverse consequences. Namely, it creates disappointment and disillusionment with how organizations treat minority communities, leads to racial isolation from white colleagues, and perhaps more importantly, leaves black professionals shouldering the added responsibility of making organizations more accessible and available to communities of color in an increasingly multiracial society. This book identifies racial outsourcing and equity work as new mechanisms of racial inequality for blacks in professional settings. I also use the conclusion to address the implications of this research in three areas. I discuss what these results tell us about the ways health care, as it adjusts to the organizational changes of the modern era, does so through racial, gendered, and classed practices. Following this, I consider what implications my findings may have for black professionals working in other fields. I conclude the book with an assessment of how we can use the results of this research to change workplaces to become better equipped to meet the needs of an increasingly multiracial America. Adia and I would have those whose hearts are open, no matter race, socioeconomic level, gender, or religion, stop thinking in terms of differences and begin to see the world in America, most especially as a land of transformation and transcendence, a place where light replaces darkness, love replaces hatred, and fairness, kindness, and love become emotions that speak to everyone and bring harmony, balance, and justice ultimately for all. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing From Within, and I invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to read about and listen to the messages of changing times, 
authors, metaphysicians, scientists, spiritualists, educators, business people, soul-minded individuals who offer insight into the possibilities for affecting lasting and positive improvements for all citizens. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you for listening.